Exodus 34, 29 to 35. Dealing with this question, have you been with God? Have you been with God? Sounds as though there has been a theme this morning talking about prayer opening up. And then this message this morning, have you been with God? This is something that earlier this week, just in our Bible reading, uh, that God put this in my heart and felt as though I was to come and share this with you. Have you been with God? Let's look Exodus 34 beginning at verse number 29. It says, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out, and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, notice this, that the skin of, his, of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again and until he went in to speak with him. Probably a very familiar story. But we see the face of Moses shining, letting us know that he had been with God. Father, I ask you today to help me say what needs to be said, and I pray that you'd open the ears of the people to hear and open their hearts to receive. Do in this place what only you can do, and Father, we'll give you praise and honor for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Have you been with God? It's easier than we might think for people to know where we've been. It's easier than we think for people to know where we've been. You've raised children, most of you have, or you have grandchildren. It's easier for you to know if they've been traipsing around in mud puddles in the yard. They can deny it, say we've stayed inside, but when they come in and there's dirt and mud caked on the bottom of their boots, their shoes, you know they've been outside, you know where they've been. If you've been out exercising, or if you've been out working in the yard, and you've worked up a sweat, and you come inside and change clothes, but you don't shower, there may be an aroma, there may be an odor, there may be an, a, a scent that lets others know where you have been. How I many know what I'm talking about? If you're one who likes spicy foods or zesty foods, you like onions and garlic and you don't do something, brush your teeth or pop in a mint and you get around people and breathe on them, a lot of people will know where you have been. 
It's easier than we think for people to know where we have been. But let me say this, it's easier than we might think for people to know where we've been. And that includes whether or not we've been in the presence of God. You see, people give can see more than we think they see. And they can tell whether we've been with God or been everywhere but with God. I want to ask you this morning, what do you radiate when you walk into a room? I wonder this morning, would anyone wonder whether you've frequently been with God? Or to ask it another way, this is the way God put it into my heart this week, do others see the effect of God's presence in your life? That's how God drove it into me this week. Scotty, do others see the effect of God's presence in your life? As we look at this text, I want to give you just two observations and two questions. The first observation is this, point number one, is that you may be less aware than others of how you've changed. Moses, he's been on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. He hasn't had any food. He hasn't had any water. Now he comes down off the mountain. He has two brand new tablets containing the Ten Commandments. The first set of Ten Commandments, he comes down off the mountain, he sees the people worshiping the golden calf, he gets angry, he gets upset, and he breaks those Ten Commandments. And so he had to go back up on the mountain again and spend those 40 days and 40 nights with God and get a brand new set of tablets. But when he comes down this time, he's been up there and he's seen the glory of God, or he's seen the backside of God, he's only seen a part of God's glory. But when he comes down, his face is glowing like a light bulb, his face is shining. But the text says he didn't know his face was shining. He had no physical sensation. He doesn't say to himself, I feel flushed. He doesn't know. But there was something about his time in the presence of God that had changed him even though he couldn't see it himself. He didn't know anything was different about him. He didn't know he was radiating the glory of God until other people begin to tell him. And I would say to us this morning that you may not see your spiritual growth immediately, but others will notice. That you may not see how you're progressing in the faith. You may not see immediately how God is changing your life by spending time with Him, but others around you will see how you've been progressing in your walk with God, and others will see how God is changing your life even though you may not notice immediately how you're being changed. Moses had been affected by his time with God, but he didn't know it at first. And I would say to us that you'll be changed by being in God's presence even though you may not know it at first because sometimes you may not feel different immediately. But I promise you, you'll act differently. Amen? You see, people will know that you've been with God. I'm not going to promise you that your face is going to glow. It's probably not. Your face probably isn't going to light up. Now let me say this, you should have a smile on your face. You should have joy down in your soul. But your face probably ain't going to radiate. It's probably not going to shoot forth beams of glory. But people will know that you've been with God. They'll know you've been changed. 
You see, growth can be slow. You see, we want God change. We want God to change us in an instant. We want God to automatically do a hundred and eighty degree thing in our life. But growth can be slow. Listen, salvation is in an instant. The moment you believe in Jesus, then you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. But growth can be slow. The Bible tells us that we're being changed, being transformed from glory to glory. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18, if you want to write that reference down. One translation of that verse says we're being changed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory, meaning that sometimes it's one degree at a time. A little bit more like Jesus this week, a little bit more like Jesus next week, a little bit more like Him this year, a little bit more like Him next year. We want to sprint to the finish line, but sometimes that's not the way it is. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's painfully slow. And you may not see it, but others will take notice of the change in your life. How many believe that this morning? But here's the second thing I want us to notice notice this morning. Your time with God will affect others. Your time with God will affect others. Verse 30 of the text says this, When Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. I mean, he comes off the mountain, his face is shining like a light bulb, and they run away. They're afraid Come near Moses. Hear me this morning. When you change, it'll change how others see you. When you grow, it's going to change the dynamic with others close to you. In fact, your growth in God, your walk with God, may even threaten other people. The text says they're afraid to come near to Him. He's radiating the glory of God and they're afraid to get close to Moses. They're unnerved by what God did in His life. Why is that? It's because people don't usually like to be around other people who are different. We like people that are like us, don't we? And so we don't like to get around people who stretch us. We don't like to get around people who make us uncomfortable. That's why we run into the same circles. That's why we run around the same people over and over again because I don't want somebody who makes me uncomfortable. You see, here's the thing about being in God's presence. It's going to attract some people to you. But it's going to repel some people. You see, the anointing on your life, the anointing on my life, it's going to draw some people to you, but it's going to repel some people from you. Just look at the life of Jesus. He attracted some people, but He made the religious people mad. In fact, you want to write something down, write this down. Not everyone will want to be close to you when you get close to God. That'll preach. Not everyone will want to be close to you when you get close to God. 
You found that out when you got saved. Didn't you? Everybody who said they were your friend when you got Jesus, they were no longer your friend. Why? Because not everybody who is close to you now will be close to you later when you get close to Jesus. Because when you pursue God and you have an encounter with Him, it affects other people. You see, everybody's not going to be your biggest fan and your best friend when you go after God. Let me say it like this. Just because you've been to the mountaintop with God doesn't mean everybody else wants to go to the mountaintop. And I'll even say this and be so blunt about it this morning. Not everybody in this church this morning wants to go to the mountaintop with God. They're just content at the bottom. But when some of us go to the mountaintop, the rest of you is going to be uncomfortable. You see, everybody doesn't want to be as close to God as you are. Some people's happy where they are. Some people's comfortable where they are. And what I'm about to say is sad, but it's true. You have husbands and wives that are on the same place spiritually. You've got some spouses that are more spiritual than others. Some spouses that are pursuing God more than others, and guess what happens? The relationship is out of balance. Listen, two become one, you're one flesh, you're both saved on your way to heaven, but picture a triangle. God's at the top, husband and wife here. The both of you pursue God, you get closer to each other. But if one's pursuing God more than the other, you're out of balance. And then you wonder why you fuss and fight so much. I understand where... We all have baggage, we all have stuff we have to deal with, and sometimes we grow differently, but here's the thing. If you're both not trying to go after God, there's going to be issues. I'm not trying to give you a marriage lesson this morning, I'm just trying to let you know that you've got to want God. You really see it when you get a believer marrying an unbeliever. That is real unbalanced then. But your time with God will affect other people. But let me move on to two questions now. How do you spend time with God? How do you spend time with God? Let me give you several things here. First, it takes solitude. Take solitude. In verses 1 through 3, it says this. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai to present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So God tells Moses, you come and you come by yourself. When you come to meet with me, you come meet alone. 
And so Moses had to encounter God all by himself. There was no other person, no other male, no other female, and there was to be no animal there. He was to meet God alone. Hear me this morning. Some of the greatest things that God does in your life will probably not happen in a church service or in a room of other people. It will happen in isolation. It will happen when it's just you and God. In fact, what did Jesus tell us in Matthew 6, 6? He talks about secret prayer. That when you pray, go into your private place and pray to your Father which is in secret. And when you pray to your Father in secret, He will reward you openly. Why? Because God wants to do something in your life in private. It takes solitude. It takes getting along with God in private. Think about Jacob for a moment. He wrestled with God all night. and He said, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And this when he wrestled with God that God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Here's what Genesis 32, 22-24 says. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Notice, he was left alone when he wrestled with God. And that's when God changed his life. He was no longer Jacob the trickster, Jacob the deceiver, but he was now Israel, prince of Israel. God changed his life. But it all happened when he was alone with God. Take solitude. Secondly, takes time. You want to spend time with God? It's an old brainer, it takes time. Moses was 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain with God. That's what verse 28 tells us. You see, spending time with God can't be rushed. But we're people who's always in a hurry. But yet, we want God to do a great work in us. But we want God to do it quickly. God, I need you to do something in my life and I need you to do it in five minutes. It doesn't work that way. We say, God, I want you to use me. I want you to do great things through me. But you can't give him but five minutes a day. Maybe you do a little bit better than you give him 30 minutes a day. I'm not saying you got to go away for 40 days and 40 nights. But this kind of encounter that Moses had doesn't come easily. You're going to spend time with God, you've got to take time. Thirdly, it takes sacrifice. The text tells us, or verse 28 tells us, Moses had no food or water for those 40 days and 40 nights. Now let me just say this, that he could have not gone without water unless God hadn't supernaturally helped him. You can go without food for several weeks. You can only go without water for about three days. For 40 days, 40 nights, no food, no water, God had to supernaturally help him do that. But here's the thing, he denied himself the basic, the necessities of life. He denied himself that with God's supernatural help. 
But here's the thing about this. He's an old man by this time and he had to climb Mount Sinai to get where God wanted him to be. I wonder this morning, what are we willing to sacrifice to meet with God? Are we willing to lay aside some food to meet with God? Are we willing to say no to some other things so we can say yes to time with God? You see, seeking God is costly. But here's what we want. We want intimacy without inconvenience. I'll say that again. We want intimacy without inconvenience. Listen to me. I'm not going to get intimate with my wife in front of all of you. You're not going to get intimate with your spouse in front of everybody else, are you? You're going to go somewhere private, aren't you? It takes time, it takes planning. I know, it just got, it got quiet real quick, didn't it? Yeah, we can treat like we can do God whatever we want to with Him. You know, sometimes we're thought intimacy requires a, a meal. Got to woo my wife a little bit. I don't know what I'm talking about. Take her out to dinner. Be nice. Got to date her. And here's the thing, I'm not trying to woo God and date God, but sometimes it requires me saying no to some other things so I can say yes to Him. He's got to be more, more important. He's got to be a priority. I mean, at times, I don't want to be inconvenient. I know some of you is uncomfortable this morning. We want to have this encounter like Moses had, but don't want to give up anything. Have that kind of experience. And then we wonder, why, why doesn't God move like He wants to? Now hear me very well this morning. I understand that we're under a different covenant today. I understand that we're under grace and that God can show up and do whatever He wants to do whenever He wants to do it. But you hear me. God still wants us to walk before Him in humility. God still wants us to walk before Him in holiness. And I believe God still wants us to seek Him. Listen, I don't agree with a lot of the things the older church and the older people did as far as their legalistic mindset, but I promise you they had something that we don't have today. You needed some people to pray, call on those older saints and they can pray. They were willing to make some sacrifices. Not us. 
An hour to, uh, an hour to pray at church? Preacher, that's too much. That's asking too much. Let me ask you, is an hour to come pray at church worth seeing your children and grandchildren saved? It ought to be. Here's the thing. One Monday a month. Four hours. Out of 30 days or 31 days a month and all the other hours we have throughout the week. See God reach a single person or several people or see God do something in our church. And some people will say that's too much. And you might say, how can you say that? I can say that because if you don't show up, that's what you're saying. That's too much for me. Now, if you have a job and you have to work during that time, I understand. But you hear me? I want God to move in this place. And I want God to save souls in this place. And I want to see this place grow and be more than what it is. And some of you may be satisfied, some of you may be content. And bless God, I'm going to go ahead and say it. And if you're content and God begins to move, not if God, when God begins to move, when God begins to grow, when God begins to stretch us, if it makes you uncomfortable, you may have to find somewhere else to go. I want God's presence more than I want God's more than I want people's approval. I want Him. But I'm not answering to you. I'm not answering anybody. I'm answering to God. And we need to be about the Father's business. We've got to reach people, church. But before we can reach anybody, we've got to be with Him. We've got to be in His presence. We've got to be people that spend time with God. Because until God changes us, we can't see God change anybody else. Burden. In time of God, you worship God. Verse 8. Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Listen, spending time with God is more about being with Him than getting your needs met. Spending time with God's more just about being with Him than getting your prayers answered. We've made spending time with God all about what God can do for me rather than just being with Him. Have we not? When's the last time you've just been with Him? Here's something else about spending time with God. Intercede for others. Look at verse 9. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Moses intercedes with the people. He knows they're rebellious people, a stiff-necked people. And he says, God, pardon us. He's there to receive the Ten Commandments that he broke. 
He's there to get a second copy. And he's to return off the mountain to instruct the people of God. Here's the lesson. His time with God on the mountain wasn't to last forever. Eventually, he's to come off the mountain. Eventually, his encounter with God is to be over and he's to go back to the people. In other words, his time with God has a purpose. Can you see where I'm going? Your time with God has a purpose. In other words, it's not just for you, it's for other people. You see, God wants to do something in your life while you're in private so He can do something through your life when you're in public. Let me say that again. God wants to do something in your life when you're with Him in private so He can do something through your life when you're out in public. Amen? Your time with Him has a purpose. It's not just for your good, it's for the good of others. Because God wants to affect other people's lives because of your time with Him. As I said earlier, your change of being in His presence will affect other people. Let me give you this fourth thing, this last question. In what ways does God's presence change us? What ways does God's presence change us? Let me just give you two quick things and we'll close. Number one, it alters our attitude. It alters our attitude. When Moses come down off the mountain and his face is glowing, he had a different attitude when he came down. His intimate encounter with God humbled him. Think about it. His face is radiating with the glory of God. And he is unaware of it. I mean, he's glowing like a light bulb. He doesn't know it. And when he's told about it, he doesn't become proud. He doesn't become arrogant. But rather, when he speaks to the people, he puts a veil over his face. Part of that is to keep the people from knowing that the glory's faded. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 3. Now let me say to us, when it comes to the glory of God at work in our lives, it doesn't fade. But we're being changed from glory to glory. But he's humbled by his time with God. Now I tell you, if a modern day preacher had had that kind of encounter, where he comes off of a mountain and his face is glowing and shooting forth beams of glory, he'd be on Oprah the next day selling books and signing autographs. But not Moses. Moses is humble. You see, when you have an encounter with God, when you spend time with Him, God will adjust your attitude. Amen? God will alter your attitude when you get into His presence. He'll fill you with love. He'll fill you with joy. He'll root out the bitterness and unforgiveness in your life. He'll deal with the greed and He'll deal with the jealousy. But most of all, He'll make you a person of humility. Because here's the thing, when you get into the presence of God, you can't stand up with pride. When I get into His presence, I can't stand up and say, hey, look at big old me, because in His presence, I am nothing without Him. 
That's why Moses bowed down and worshipped. Because in his presence, it's not big me and little God, it's big God and me. Humbled by him. And when you understand that, then you can see God use you. That when it's Him and not me and not you, then God can do great things. Because God resists the proud, but He gets grace. But not only does it alter our attitude, an encounter with God gives us direction. An encounter with God gives us direction. Look at verse 32. 34, 32. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and He gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with them on Mount Sinai. And then verse 34. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out, and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. Moses received God's instruction and he passed that on to the people. Whatever God told him, that's what he told the people. Hear me this morning. Whatever decisions you have to make, they're better made in the presence of God. Any choices you need to make about life, especially major decisions, they're better made in the presence of God. How many agree with that this morning? And anything you need to do about life, anything you need to know, they're better off being made on your face before God saying, God, show me what to do. Because God can unfold His will for your life. God can show you which step to take if you'll just get into His presence. In fact, let me show you this real quickly. Acts chapter 13. Oh, it just came to my mind, but Acts chapter 13. Have a Bible and turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, look at verse 1 if you have it. It says, Now in the church that was at Antioch there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Do you see that? While they ministered to the Lord, while they were in the presence of God, worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. You'll get in the presence of God. Minister to Him through worship. Might find that the Holy Spirit speaks. And He'll guide your life. In closing, I want to ask you this morning where have you been? Where have you been? Again, it's easier than we might think for people to tell where we've been. So do you show signs of having been in the presence of God? As I was thinking about this most of the week, I was convicted. 
again, this hit me earlier in the week. And as I thought about this, and that one question, do others see the effect of God's presence in my life? I was convicted. And I would say that you probably need to be convicted as well. How many of us radiate something of having been with God? Again, our face probably ain't going to shine. But do we radiate something when we walk in a room? Do we? You see, we need to be people who spend time with God. We need to be people who walk with Him and know Him. Not just know Him occasionally and know Him casually, but know Him intimately. You see, the thing is, we, we, we know a lot of smart, impressive people, a lot of gifted people, a lot of accomplished people. But how many God-stained people do you know? How many people do you know that are marked by the anointing of God? There might be a few in this church. But we need more. And I want to be one of them. I want to be marked by the anointing. I want to better do what the Bible says do lay hands on the sick and then recover. In his name, cast out them. But there may be a few people that's been marked by God. Marked by them. But we need more. And I ask you, do you want to be one of them? Some of you do, but the truth is some of us don't. You're happy where you are. In all honesty, some of us would rather be experts in something else. We'd rather our face shine with some other kind of knowledge or character. But if you want to shine like Moses did, you want to have even greater glory. And here's the thing, Jesus has come. And we can have even greater glory than Moses did. It's not going to come unless you spend time with God. I want you to stand with me.